Fans TV today, uh, myself Glenn Watkin are hosting an interview with Matthew Riley, who is involved with Fair Game UK. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Matthew. How are you today? Hi guys. Yeah, I'm good not to too see bad. Cov doing so well. They yeah. are doing very well at the moment. Um, quite quite surprising. I could do with uh, the last minute goals kind of easing off because um, that's three times this season well four times we scored in injury time but obviously one of them we were already winning but yeah i, I don't think uh my blood pressure or my heart and most cough fans hearts would <laughs> would uh carry on like that but we we had a record of doing that when we um got promoted out of league one and um, obviously the season got tailed yeah. by covid we we had a habit of late goals um, which was yeah, quite entertaining. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but no, it's not. It's, yeah. it, it's good, but you don't want to be going through it all, all the time. Now it's not much fun. Um, no, so I, I, yeah, I watched you lads beat Exeter at Wembley a few years back, and that was uh, that was an experience. It's the only time I felt noise. You know, the only time I, when you lads scored, and we were at the other end, I could feel the noise. I've never experienced that in a game before or since. Unbelievable. No, I think the two trips to Wembley. I mean, obviously the checker trade, which was the season before. I mean, we had forty-five thousand there, which was more than we had for the Exeter yeah. game, I think. And yeah, that was that was quite quite impressive yeah. with the noise. Um, so let's just uh, talk about you for a bit, Matt. Um, just tell us a bit about yourself and which sure. football team do you follow? Um, what was your first game, etc.? And yeah. then obviously how you got involved with Fair Game UK. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm a I'm a Midlander by birth, like uh, you lads as well. I was born in Stafford. Um, I was born into a Villa family. Uh, so I describe myself as as Villa by vocation and Exeter by location. Um, I, I spent a few years living in Africa, but I grew up in Shropshire in, uh, near Shrewsbury, Market Drayton, if you, if you know Drayton. Um, so I've always, always loved football. Um, we then fast forward many years, lived in Thailand. I worked in Thai football for a number of years. Uh, came back here, um, got a proper job that paid the mortgage, but also I really wanted to get back into football. So I'm now um, a um, trust member of Exeter City. I'm a season ticket holder. Uh, I'm a volunteer and uh, I uh, do some work in um, sort of outreach and engagement for Exeter City. And I've written a book that's coming out next August that will raise money for the women's team. Uh, my wife and I sponsor one of the women's team players. So um that's kind of, you know, everything like you lads, I'm sure, is all about football. Always been massively into football, even when we lived abroad in Asia for sort of 20 years. But uh, when it came back, it's just so good to be, you know, back in football. And I really love League Two. You know, Exeter is a, is a trust-owned club. Uh, I was there last night, 5 nil at half-time, as we mentioned before. Amazing game. And we got, you know, 2,000 fans last night for a, a Papa John's uh evening kickoff so uh yeah so i'm like you lads i'm to totally immersed in football and uh, it's great to be kind of properly into it now with fair game because we've got so many great connections mps and uh, players and ex-players that it's uh it's a very exciting space to be in 
So just obviously two quick questions. Um, obviously with Villa, mm-hmm. Steven Gerrard's been appointed today. Um, what what's your yeah. views views on that? Um, do you think Dean Smith's been mm-hmm. harshly treated? Is Gerrard mm-hmm. really the man it's- for the job? Mm. I have to say, it really hurt about Dean Smith. You know, the story of his dad, and you know, by the time Dean got the job, his dad had Alzheimer's, and he he couldn't explain to his dad what he got. I think the players have let him down. I, I worry that Steve Gerrard's a little bit undercooked with his experience. Um, maybe someone like like Frank Lampard might have been an idea, but he's got a, he's got a good squad. Um, the last five defeats have been. I mean, the Wolves the Wolves game was just. It destroyed everyone's confidence. So I think he's, he's got huge amounts of money behind him. I mean, Villa have spent the, the third and most of any team in the Premier League, spent a, a, a third of a billion pounds. So he's got unlimited resources pretty much. And uh, obviously, I, I wish him well. But there's still that kind of pain, sort of heart pain that we, we've lost. You know, one of our own. He's, he's Dean's very much one of our own. He was really loved by the fans. He didn't get any sort of hatred for him when he was kicked out he was clearly very upset so so I'm I'm, I'm sure Steve Gerrard will turn it around he's got a good backroom staff if he chooses to keep Craig Shakespeare and the others but again there's just that feeling of of just sadness to be honest uh, Glenn just sadness that this is the way football is now you know he would look at what he's done in two years and five bad games and he's gone I'm sure uh, myself as a Cough fan who remembers that Villa are our better rivals. Hope he's a he's a roaring success. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I nearly pretended I wasn't a Villa fan, but I thought, well, I better be honest. <laughs> um, just that, obviously, while you want, um, what was the Exeter City re- reaction to the playoff final? Was was it were they quite disappointed, or was it just an exception that Coventry literally just played them off the park really for that? Spell after half well, time where we went two 0 up and pretty yeah, much I mean, killed the game off. Yeah, you did. I mean, when I watched them against Blackpool, they they probably should have won. I mean, they had been three times and lost. I mean, to be honest, Glenn, a lot of fans, and I don't agree with it, but a lot of fans have this theory that Exeter don't want to go up because we can't afford the wages in League One. So the conspiracy theorists believed certainly Coventry were way better the team than Exeter on that day. But when we played Blackpool. Uh, we were the better team and, and threw the game away. And there, there is that feeling of oh, Exeter don't want to get promoted because when we have been promoted, we've pretty much come straight back down um, and we have to sell all our players. You know, we're still living off the Ollie Watkins sale, the um, Ethan Ampadu sale. Well, that wasn't as successful. But yeah, there, was, there wasn't a feeling of bitterness because you lads were, you know, on the day, you were far superior to us. And you could see, again, with the fan base you had there, you could see the direction that the club was going even then. So, yeah, it was that resignation and the usual paranoia amongst us fans that our chairman, uh, Julian Tagg, had, had told the players not to go and win, which is absolute madness that we love about football fans. Football, fa- football fans love a good conspiracy story. Um, so of course. Moving, they do. Uh, moving on to Fair Game UK. So um, how did you get involved with it initially? Yeah, well, I met Niall Cooper, who's our CEO, um, and he just told me what he was doing. Uh, I've got a background in marketing and public relations. Um, I lecture in business management at Exeter University and, and marketing at, at the university as well. So he told me about what Fair Game was, did some research about it, and it just made a lot of sense to me, Glenn. You know, it's madness what's happening now. You know, my wife and I left the UK in 98, and we came back 20 years later, and the football landscape was just totally different. You know, it's 
it's just ridiculous financial gambling going on. Um, I mean, one of our policy advisors, Kieran Maguire, that you, you know you might know from the Price of Football, um, he said today that since 2013, just the Championship, you know, Coventry's league, um, they've lost two point, uh, was it two point, uh, sorry, three point two five billion pounds. In the la- in, since 2013, you know, it's absolute madness. So there's only one fair game club in the championship, and that's Luton Town. And they're the only team in the championship that aren't losing money. So I listened to what Niall had to say, and he's, he's a very, very driven man. And I just thought, I really want to get involved in that. So what I do is I, I um, talk to clubs, talk to journalists, talk to MPs, and bring together uh, a momentum, especially with the Crouch Report next week. That's our big kind of, it's our big bang moment next week, to be honest, Glenn. How big an impact do you think the Crouch Report will have on football? If I'm totally honest, Glenn, I'm very worried that she's being heavily lobbied by betting companies, by slacking politicians, trying to kind of hamstring what she's going to do. But they chose a person that is is very, very forceful. Now, Tracy Crouch, we've had a lot of connections with her as well. She's the wrong person to choose if you want to hide the report. So I have to be optimistic. We've got a lot of people behind us now. We had another couple of MPs signed up today. So with her interim report, she was very, very confident about what she wanted, very clear, and all those things connect with what Fair Game wants. So my heart says she's going to do it, and my head worries. You know all the stories about politicians at the moment. My head worries that politicians, the, the politicians that we can't trust, will try to kick it into the long grass. And this is our only chance, Glenn. You know, if we don't get this into legislation, it's going to, it's things are going to, things bad are going to happen. You know, this won't be just Macclesfield. It won't be just Bury. Uh, it won't be just, you know, look at Oldham in League Two, the terrible situation they're in. This will, this will massively increase. So I, I believe in her, but I worry about the environment that she has to get the report out in. Obviously, um, like with betting companies, that that has been quite an emotive topic within our fan base obviously because we've got mm. oil sports on and i know there's a lot of fans that aren't happy buying a shirt with a betting company's name and logo mm. on it um and they obviously said to the club why can't you do one an adult one without sponsors in the same way you do a kid's one without the sponsor mm. so um i can i yeah. can understand that is quite um quite an emotive point and but it is very commonplace unfortunately in the championship with betting companies they are pretty much rife in the championship as as the main main sponsors um yeah. what would you say the one thing that you would hope if there's one thing that the crouch report is going to bring in what would the one thing you would look you would say we definitely need to bring that in as if above for me, Glenn, it's, yeah for me it's independent regulation you know i know it's something that gary neville's talked about a lot and uh, gary lineker's talked about it a lot and that's kind of the core thing glenn if we lost everything else it would be terrible but if we had independent regulation, properly independent regulation, um, that would be at least we'd have something to not just have a carrot, but have a sticker as well. So that that would change things a lot because, you know, we were talking um, yesterday with another very successful team in Bournemouth. You know, the 77 different accounting methods in the top four leagues. You can hide so much by doing that. You know, you need to have somebody to say your accounts have to be audited. They have to be on time. They have to be accurate. You can't be having everyone setting their own rules. You know, look at Derby and their views on you know amortization and all the disaster that that's caused. You know, you look at Reading. 
211% of their income goes on wages. So if we could get an independent regulator, and this is the big thing, Glenn, with teeth, then for me, that would be the, the kind of the core thing that would at least make the report have some kind of legs. What, what are your thoughts? Obviously, you, you're involved with a football league club. What are your thoughts on the EFL as a body? Do they... Are, are they react? Are they proactive enough, or are they re- reactive? Obviously, speaking as a Cov fan, we we've been yeah. to Sixfields, we've been to St Andrews, we've had administration, we've had points deductions, and then obviously looking at the Derby situation, how mm. how that's got dragged out for so long, and mm. now you've got a team in the Championship with potentially 21 points getting knocked off them. It all, it makes a bit of a mockery of the league, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I agree, Glenn. I mean, for me, the worst thing is that it got to this point. You know, why didn't the EFL have some red lights glowing really early on? We, You and I have seen this unravel for such a long time. You can see you could have seen a year ago this was going to happen. So I think the EFL are too passive. They need to be more brave and say, like with Reading, you know, the 2020 accounts was 211 percent of income. The 2019 accounts, it was even worse. So the EFL have known about those two examples, of particularly Reading, for two years. They need to have people on watch, you know, an Ofsted inspection on special measures. Reading and Derby, Oldham in, the, in League Two, you know. I'm so sad for Oldham. I used to watch them in the first division at, at Villa. And now they've had a double man. They've had a double mandate against getting players. I know one's been taken away, but they, we we've seen this for a long time. And all we get, all we'd have to do is, you know, go and have a pint with you and the other Coventry fans over the years. You could have told the EFL that, and that's not your job. But the EFL let it slide until it's got to this critical point where, you know, of course, Derby are trying to get sold. Who's going to buy a team twenty minus twenty one? A Bournemouth. We're talking last night about the minus seventeen they had. And of course, it affects the fans, Glenn. You know, it punishes the fans. The owners can disappear and buy someone else. But the fans, you're going to be Cov your whole life. I'm going to be Villa for whole life for, for my sins. You know, we can't change. And the, the owners can. So I think the EFL needs to be much braver. I think they need to not try and ape the Premier League. They need to be much more collegial and much more supportive of of you know obviously League Two teams, but other teams that are that are facing that are that are basically being foolish with their money. You know we've got this casino gambling. Well, there's times when you should go into a casino and stop someone gambling, and, and that's not what the EFL have been doing for all this time. Yeah, I, I think the problem is you've got owners on a spectrum. I, I've recently obviously seen the Ryan Reynolds and I can't remember the other mm. guy's name who took Wrexham off, and and they're obviously not yeah. real football people but they have got such a great idea and immersed themselves in the community and got some really, really Mm. good ideas. And then you have the other Mm. extreme, which is like Steve Dale and the whole Berry thing, which is just bizarre with the way that it all got handled. And obviously I remember watching the BBC, I think it was the BBC documentary about Berry when they um, obviously folded. Yeah, was it called One? I think it was, oh no, Hours, I think, wasn't it? Was it called Hours? Something like that, yeah. And I remember seeing that yeah. and the, the massive impact that, that taking that football club away had on the community. And there were, uh, and yeah. some of it, it was... And the scary thing was, obviously, as a Cough fan, we could have been going down that way if on it. Yeah. But um, So in terms of Fair Game UK, um, what, what would yeah. you say your main objectives? What What's your basic manifesto 
at the moment? What what key points are you trying to get implemented? Yeah. To start with, Glenn, it's it's to reset. It's to reset football uh, at a much more sustainable level. Now we're kind of we're very values driven, so we work very closely with her game too. Um, Kaz and Lucy do an unbelievable job. Other people like women in football, looking at a lot of our clubs are also sustainable and they're, they've got a, a better attitude to things. So what we want to have is a feeling of fairness. Now, you know, the Premier League is just an absolute basket case. In some ways, the championship is more of a financial basket case. But we're looking for some forms of integrity, uh, some transparency. But also we want the community to be activated. Now, particularly with the Crouch Report, we want to have you and me and everybody talking to our local MPs and telling them that if they don't legislate what Tracy Crouch does next week, we'll never forgive them and we'll never forget that we are never going to forgive them if they don't do their job, which is to represent us, you know, not their second job or their third job, but their first job is to represent Coventry, Exeter, all of these teams in the local community. And that, and that, I keep thinking about that documentary, Glenn. I'm sure it's called Hours. I think it was by Michael Calvin. It was so desperately sad because, you know, my weekend, I'm going to watch Exeter Oldham. It's not very glamorous, but I'll go meet my mates for a pint before. We don't tend to meet at other times. We have the same Saturday. It structures our weekend. It gives us something to talk about. You rip that out of our community and you're causing unbelievable damage. So, you know, everybody can make a difference. You talk about the European Super League. That's never going to go away, Glenn. That, they're going to come back time after time after time. But individual fans can make a difference by just making sure that the politicians do their job, that it's legislated and that it's enacted. So, you know, I feel that one of our main things with our manifesto is we're more powerful than we realise as fans. And we've seen that, obviously, with the Super League. It was particularly Chelsea fans. Unbelievable what they did. But we can make changes for the long term. That was a short term reaction. We've had the big picture. We've had the European Franchise League, as I call it. There'll be another one coming very, very soon. And these are battles that we have to win. But if we're going to win the war, people like you and me need to be knocking on the doors of our MPs and saying, I've got my eye on you. You don't ever damage Coventry City. You know, you make sure that Coventry City is here. I don't know if you've got kids, but for your kids and your grandkids, for my kids, the Exeter City's there. So, you know, that's the big thing for me. And that's what really attracted me, Glenn. And the fact that we're all volunteers as well. So you're working with passionate people that are not in it for the money or career or development or anything like that. They believe we don't want to be Berry. I can't imagine what it's like if, you, if you've been a Berry fan. You know, at Exeter, we've got lads that have been, they go home and away to every single game for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. They'd be totally bereft if, if we lost our club. So, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see people cannot move what we call the crown jewels. They can't change the crest. They can't change the shirt. They can't change the location like AFC Wimbledon unless they get 75% of fans voting for it. So it's about empowering you and me. It's about making sure our clubs stay here because, you know, what else have we got, Glenn? I mean, we're, we're football fans. We can't imagine life without our clubs. Well, we've, we've had life without clubs really haven't we because of covid so we didn't get yet to go to games yeah but or... you still yeah you always thought they were there glenn you know what to come back to yeah. but if you had a yeah. situation that they simply you know they were bulldozed over and made a sainsbury's yeah. like uh, the old wimbledon ground um we've had people at exodus city looking to take out the land and then changing that because it's in a good location so 
although we didn't have the games to go to, it was kind of still there, wasn't it? You know, still in our in our heart sort of thing. Yeah. Um. What's What's Fair Game UK's views on ownership specifically, like foreign ownership? Are, are you very mm. keen on like a fit and an, a, a proper fit and proper test? If If that makes well, sense. Well, yeah, you've said it there, Glenn. You've said it there. You know, it came out in two thousand and four, the fit and proper test. And, you know, I, I lived in Thailand with my wife for 16 years. In 2007, um, a guy called Taksin Shinawatra bought Manchester City. Now, he was on the run from the law, and he's still on the run from the law now. But he passed the, the fit and proper test three years after it, it came into, um, into effect. He started to feel the heat from, from Thailand and from other people. He just sold it to the current owners, and he got off scot-free. What we want is a proper fit and proper test that is... Uh, clear that at the moment as long as you don't have a current for example a current conviction you can drive a cart and horse through uh, what's going on there we know plenty of examples there's an obvious example in the premier league at the moment but there has to be some kind of proper fit and proper test because there this is the way that clubs are going to be destroyed absolutely destroyed you know we could you and i could name half a dozen owners not just at Bury, but other places that they're just gambling and risking everything. And they shouldn't have been allowed in that position in the first place. So imagine anything that was in 2004. I mean, crikey, I didn't have grey hair in 2004. And now we've got the metaverse of Facebook, but we've still got the same rules for fit and proper for football. So it needs a massive change. And that's one of the another one of the key things we want Tracy to address next week, that there cannot be another version of some of the things we've seen in all leagues you know it's not just in the lower leagues is we could we could name a lot couldn't we in the premier league and championship and first division um, just obviously one question are you guys working alongside like the football supporters association or are they kind of a separate body um, obviously you mentioned you you work in collaboration with her game too um are you in the mm. football supporters association similar or you kind of looking at it from different angles yes slightly different angles to be honest um glenn because for example we've now got fair game councils we've got one signed up last week up in up in cumbria kendall we have a slightly different approach because for us the big engine of change are the politicians so we've now got 33 actually now 33 politicians we've got andy burnham we've got damian green alison mcgowan you know high profile politicians and our kind of target is to make sure that the good politicians like those three and we've got uh, Jessica Morden from Newport we've got plenty of others that those good politicians enact the laws that the FSA can then uh, describe and then work on as well now obviously we support everything the Football Supporters Association did you know they had that um, they've just had a survey coming out uh, came out a couple of days ago that feeds into that that approach for us particularly the treatment of women at matches and and what her game two does but yeah we're slightly different in that we will focus on driving through councils through politicians and clubs of course we've got 31 clubs now but we we feel that parliament has to drive this because without laws we all lose our mind with football glenn don't we you know we all go crazy about football we all make stupid decisions at football matches usually after for me a couple of pints of that's just gold too many but we have to have somebody in west Westminster saying this is legislated and you can't do this. You cannot be paying 211% of your income if you're Reading. It just can't happen. The owner is putting huge amounts of money into Reading, but that's not solving the problem. It's actually making it worse. Like like Salford, uh, um, Salford City is it? Um, Salford City in League Two. 
You know, they pay more wages than anyone else because of the connections with Manchester United. And that just makes it harder for clubs like Exeter, uh, Leighton Orient, some of the other clubs to buy players. So, yeah, we really have a slightly different approach to FSA, but we, we very much support what they do. And we just hope we can come at it in a slightly different angle and make the politicians put the politicians feet to the fire and, and make sure they do what they should be doing. Um, and what's fair game UK's viewpoint on like the parachute payment scheme? Um, it, now, it, is 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 there like is that of your opinion there needs to be more of a leveling leveling of the playing field, so to speak? Yeah, very much so. I mean, our kind of our overall view is to scrap parachute payments, but there are some like like Kieran Kieran Maguire. He feels that it's a very clumsy tool but it could be just levelled off a bit more. So our, as I say, our official view is that it should be scrapped because, you know, you if you think about the fact that a relegated club from the Premier League will get £55 million, and that's more money than all of the teams below. So that's all um, all the 72 clubs in the, in the leagues below. All 144 clubs below the Premier League get less than one club being relegated from the Premier League. So we feel they should be scrapped. But there are views that it should be levelled off a lot more. And again, Kieran Kieran's would prefer the second option. But for me, I would I would go with with our kind of you know stated aim that parachute payments cause more damage. And of course, for other clubs as well, because they don't get that money, and instead they try to gamble even more to get back up, especially to the Premier League. So we we believe in what's called a sustainability index, and that index will give clubs more financial responsibility, community-based responsibility, uh, and, and be much more strategic instead of short-term, we hope. That's that's our target. Uh, and do you feel that there's an over-reliance on, like, TV revenue and, and bringing through that one player who's going to make you millions by selling him on um, and hoping that he goes on to bigger... Ollie Watkins, as an example, for Exeter. <laughs> exactly the same thing. Sold, sold him yeah. to... Brentford and then obviously the knock-on is there an over-reliance on that you gonna, you're going to get that diamond in the rough coming through for a lot of the lower league clubs there really is Glenn I mean if you, there's there's two things I wanted to say we we sold two players very close together we sold Ethan Ampadu to Chelsea and we got 1.2 million for him no follow-on clauses there's your money off you go okay so with Ollie Watkins we're going to spend 2.2 million pounds on our training centre next March we built a new stand with the money because Brentford treated us with a great deal of respect. Every time Molly Watkins comes on for England, we get about forty, fifty thousand pounds. That's a lot of money for a, a League Two team. So there is that over reliance for the lower teams, and also we're reliant on teams treating us with respect. So if you look at Ethan Ampadu's career; he's he's joined the legion of Chelsea loanees. Uh, his career started off well, but it's really stalled now. He's in and out of other clubs in Germany and and so on. Now, with the TV money, absolutely, this is this is the kind of tail wagging the dog. And what we think with the sustainability index is that we've got four different um, indices, four different things that they need to focus on. So um, equality standards, uh, fan engagement, financial sustainability and good governance. So in those four you get put into a category one, two, three, or four. If you're a category one club, you get 100% of the TV money allocated to you. If you're a category two, it's 75%. Category three, it's 50%. And if you're a basket case and you're losing money hand over fist, we propose you don't get the TV money. So there's the carrot and the stick there. 
So, yeah, for, for someone like Exeter, it's a real shame because I've seen players during the lockdown that had been sold before I even saw them play for Exeter. There was one that's gone to Villa, um, uh, Bidets, I think it is. He played for Exeter um, Reserves. We were told he was going to be fantastic, and they disappeared. We got a year of Ethan Ampadu. I saw him play when he was 15, and he was unbelievable. I knew he'd be amazing, uh, amazing player. Uh, and Ollie Watkins we saw for a couple of years, which was fantastic. So, yeah, there is that. And then, of course, Glenn, you've got a narrow range of tools. If you're only focusing on selling your crown jewels and the TV money, well, what are, what are the other things? You know, the, the, the proper fan engagement, not the NFTs and not the cryptocurrencies, but the proper fan engagement, like I saw last night in St. James's Park. People going in, 2,000 people, having a drink, buying a, a ticket for the uh, for the match, buying a a lottery ticket that was 50-50 and generating that kind of income as well. So it does concern me, Glenn, that it's TV money or sell players, but there should be a much wider toolbox of things that clubs do. And also, do you think with the TV scheduling of games that they don't support the fans? I think there's a ridiculous sure. scenario that Bournemouth are travelling to Middlesbrough and it's a 12.30 kickoff on a Saturday, which is just ridiculous that the, that, that can happen for a fact for with the distance that's in place. It's madness, Glenn. That's something we'll be petitioning against against as well. I mean, Newcastle United are so hard done by. It's almost like moral blackmail where they get their kickoff times moved around because they know that the fan base are so passionate that they'll make those journeys. So the the way that it's done like that, of course, they don't realise that so many other things are connected to the kickoff. So when on the rare occasions that Exeter City have had the, the kickoff change for TV or cup matches, there's been a whole range of different events that we've put on to engage with the fans, engage with the players, engage with our sponsors. And that's all out of the window with the, with the fixture change or the time change or the day change. So this is where we need to have proper conversations proper uh, fanning proper fan engagement as i say and when something is a fixture unless it's some amazing situation that has to be the fixture and of course the thing about distances like you say glenn if you're a plymouth argyle uh, supporter you know the the journeys are massive you know they're doing very well at the moment and they'll they'll probably get promoted this year but the journeys they make are, are absolutely huge and i often think that they don't consider that you know they don't consider the fact that how much time people are putting into getting back at five o'clock in the morning, then going to work at six o'clock in the morning, but doing it time and time again. And then it's changed um, without any warning often um, for cup and for TV. Yeah, it's certainly, I think we've, we've had at least, well, we've got two, two, we've had two home games that have been moved to 1230 kickoffs on a mm. Saturday. We've got another, uh, we've got two away games that are 1230 kickoffs mm. on a, on a Saturday um, as well. And obviously we have a massive London sports club, obviously yeah. for them guys to travel up that that's, mm. that's a long, a very early start or they have to travel up on the, the night before to stay over. Yeah. Um, what, what would you say the, the major challenges ahead are for football over the next 12 to 18 months? In your opinion? For me, it's this, it's this arms race of, wages you know I, I compare it to house prices once you start increasing a house price it rarely goes back down again i think there's gonna there has to be a point over the next sort of year year and a half where clubs start to financially implode because it can't keep going up and up in the way that it's doing you know the massive massive increase when the premier league first started in 80 83 was it, i think 
when that first started, there was a, there was that kind of big bang moment of, of wages, but that's carried on. So you're getting sort of 10 percent increases every single year, at least in wages. And there will come a reckoning because it only takes one or two clubs now to to get the plug pulled on them for there to be a domino effect. So I think wages are one of the key things. And again, getting back Glenn, to the Crouch report, the massive challenge for me is if it's not acted upon, we're not going to get this chance again. It was three or four, I think three years now since the government committed to having this. It will take years and years for this even to come back out of the long grass if it's put in a library in Westminster and never read. So that for me is a big challenge because it's going to be painful for a lot of clubs, clubs Glenn. If we're going to change things around, it's not going to be painless. People will have to make decisions. Players will have to take pay cuts. There'll have to be a relegation clause. You know, this. so many clubs, Glenn, they only plan for success. They don't plan for, for, for um, going down, for relegation, for failure. And when they go down, I don't know if you saw the Sunderland documentary on Netflix with Jack Rodwell. Yeah. He was he was he was in the money, wasn't he? For years and years because he had that enormous contract and he refused to back out of it. Yeah, I do remember that with the ridiculous scenario where they basically just decided they were gonna pay I don't know how much they paid for Will it Will Grigg, but they offered like stupid money for him in the end, didn't they? Just to get him and he he, he mm-hmm. flopped he flopped there on it. Yeah. yeah. And they're still um, doing it, Glenn. They offered two million or just over a million and a half to one of our players this year. Yeah, they're, they're not doing very great at the moment. So, Carl fans aren't, aren't too no. disappointed with that at the moment. Um, <laughs> so, uh, just be, just before we wrap things up. So, obviously, as a fan, what what can we do as yep. a Coventry fan or as fan base? How do we get involved with Fair Game UK? What do we do? Um, what what do we need to do if we yep. obviously want to back back the movement? Great. Well, first of all, just contact us. Just go to our website, fairgameuk.org. We would love to have as many Cov fans as possible because you've got the, all the experiences that a lot of other clubs haven't had. You've had so many challenges in your history. You've had to deal with so many very, very difficult situations. You've gone right to the edge. And through the strength of your fan base, you've been able to, a little bit like Blackpool in some ways, the way that the fan base were able to drive that forward. So come to our website, get in touch with me. I'm very happy to share my contact details. We'd love you to get involved in any way you can, talk to the club, talk to your local MPs, and make sure that the Coventry, individual Coventry fan, has got the power to make sure there are no more times that you've been through before. You know, Mark Robbins is doing an unbelievable job at the moment, but if you're going to get up to the Premier League, that could be financially disastrous. It could be all kinds of issues that if your fans aren't making sure that this is legislated against, then, you know, you, we might have, have uh, rocky uh, situations in, in the future. So get in contact with Fair Game uh, UK. We'd love to have COV fans involved. And um, we're totally voluntary. We're totally apolitical. We're not connected to any political party. We just want to have a fair game for all. And that's everybody. That's, you know, men, women, young people, old people, different minorities, LGBT. All of those all of those people can come because we've got the same values because we love football. And people often think, oh, you love football. Well, that's, you know, that's a bit uh, a bit basic. But if you think about what love is, you know, love is just going through the tough times with people, going through the tough times with Coventry. When uh, Exeter were kicked out the, or were dropped out of the league, uh, we we had to uh, pay <laughs> we had to pay our players through the fruit machines uh, by emptying the fruit machines because the owners had stolen all the money. It's the love of the game that got City back, both cities, Coventry and Exeter. So 
even if you can just spare a little bit of time, even if you've got a certain skill, if you've got connections with people, particularly politicians, we'd love to have you on board. We've got 33 um, people like Kieran Maguire, policy advisors, various uh, academics, but we need boots on the ground that just say, enough, we're not going any further. We have to be sustainable because otherwise, Berry and Macclesfield won't, will not, won't even be the end of the beginning. Thank you, Matthew. Um, just to just to finally wrap things up, um, obviously you've been involved mm -hmm. with Exeter. How big an yep. impact had did COVID have on the club uh, in in terms of uh, obviously m m revenue and everything else? Because mm -hmm. um, obviously we've we were quite lucky really because we were ground sharing. So in some ways, it actually mm -hmm. probably did Coventry a favour because we didn't have our own stadium that we were paying x amount of money on that mm. wasn't being used so in some ways it was yeah. it was a blessing and then obviously we've come back to rico cbs whatever we want to call it now so how, how <laughs> i call it the rico because yeah. i just don't like the cbs but it is a cbs now because i've took the rico no. sign down um yeah, yeah. but yeah it, it, it's an it's a fun place to be in at the moment but how how challenging I'll was that 18, 18 month period for the club yeah well, we were, we were looking on two fronts, Glenn. The first is that because we're a trust club, we always have to be incredibly careful with the outgoings. So our wages aren't the best. A lot of the work that people do, like for me, with volunteers, they don't have a huge amount of outgoings. So we were able to kind of draw ourselves in during the, the lockdown without too much damage. In fact, better than most clubs. And of course, getting back to Ollie Watkins, we were lucky that the money has come over a long period of time from from Brentford, from Villa, from England. So we've had those kind of lifelines consistently given to us. So I think if we were a higher spending club, there'd have been a lot more damage. We had to let some players go. And it's it's so sad, Glenn, when you see lads playing for Exeter and then you see six months later, they're not even footballers. You know, they can't even get any work at all. So we had to get let some of those people go. But again, because a lot of people are voluntary, I was talking to a Bristol Rovers fan last night, actually, and he was saying their kit man's been there for over 20 years and he hasn't drawn any salary. And there's a lot of people like that in Exeter. So that that kind of protected us um, because of the goodwill of the fans. But, uh, yeah, we, we should be called Ollie Watkins FC, to be honest, because he's kind of saved us. Uh, we, we were run by his uh, by the money we got from it. But it's getting on for four million pounds now. Yeah, I do actually remember. I think he's I think he played it the Rico against Carvin. I think he might have scored. I think we mm. beat you 3-1 in, in one of the, I can't remember, I think it was the Johnson Paints Trophy. Around that. It mm. wasn't the season that we got to, I think it was the season we got to Wembley. I think it might have been a couple of seasons before. Um, yeah. What, what would, what would that, just wrapping up, what would Exeter's ambition be for the rest of the season? Is it, is it to try and get into the top seven as it is and be in the playoff mix? Yeah, well, to be honest, what normally happens is we go to the top three, drop to the top seven, drop out of the top seven and then just make it in. We just didn't quite get there last year. As a club, they have got a very clearly stated aim, and that is to be a sustainable League One team. So everything's trying to point towards that. We've got an excellent coach, Matt Taylor, who used to play for the team as well. He's a superb coach. So we're trying, especially with the money that's going into the training centre next March, we're trying to get up. Uh, directly hopefully obviously this year we've sort of I think it's 15 matches unbeaten now um, and then for once in their history stay 
comfortably in League One. And I think that's a good a, a good um, idea because I know that Ryan Reynolds says he wants to get Wrexham in the Premier League, which is great, but he's not even in the top half of the, the National League yet. Um, so I think it's a realistic by Exeter. We've got such a good academy. We managed to reject Peterborough for one of our midfielders this year as well. Again, because of the Ollie money, Greg, to be honest. We could have got £2 million for, for, uh, for our right, uh, right midfielder. So if we can just keep hold of the players a little bit longer, get up to League One, sustain in League One, I think that would be a, a reasonable and realistic target. And it'd be nice to do it this year because I don't want to go to Wembley. Well, I've been twice. We went three times because of COVID. We couldn't go. I don't want to go to Wembley again, Glenn and lose. It's just too much. Wembley's not a fun place if you lose. Uh, not that we'll say I've been lucky. I was going to say you would know. We haven't <laughs> lost. I think, but I think my dad went when we lost in the Charity Shield, and that was oh, the only yeah. time that he, he. But yeah, Cov, Cov and Wembley normally normally go together quite quite well. But all, all the best. Um, to I should have checked that out before I went, shouldn't I? You should have done, yeah. All the best to Thank Exeter you. for Thank the rest of the much. season. Um, I'm not going to wish all the best to Villa because that would be a lie. And we we quite like to have no, Villa no, in the I FA. Can... We quite like to have Villa in the FA Cup for third round at the at the CBS because it's been there uh, way too long since we uh, we played them, and uh, it's one of the one games that I'd love to take my uh, my eldest son to watch because it's uh, I never actually saw us beat the Villa, unfortunately. Even the two games we did well, beat, yeah, I, think this I never is went to. Yeah, it was. It might be right. a good time. This is the time to get us, Glenn. It might well be. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, great well. to talk to you, Glenn. And thanks so much for the invitation. It's great to talk to the Cov fans. And, uh, you know, I've got a lot of uh, respect for the club and uh, how, again, how the fans have, have saved it. Essentially, you, you lads have saved the club and uh, then your son can have a, a club to enjoy when he's uh, as he gets older. Yeah, we can do. Thank you very uh, much for your time, Matt. Um, My I pleasure, just... Glenn. I'd just like to say thank you to all our listeners. We've managed to hit 2,500 listens for the season so far, and we will be recording a future another podcast on Sunday with former Coventry City midfielder Gavin O'Toole and former Coventry City striker Jamie Barnwell-Edinburgh. Thank you. Mm. Play up Sky Blues.